Hello, church leaders. Welcome to the podcast that takes the perplexity out of being a church leader. This week, we're answering the question, how may elders be organized in a local church? Special guest John Royce, one of the shepherds of the Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas, describes the way they have organized their elders and talks about the benefits of organizing them the way they have. I'm your host, Becky Holton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Carrie Holton. And hun, you had a really interesting conversation not long ago with one of the shepherds of the church there in Texas, didn't you? I surely did. I had the privilege of speaking with John Royce, who is one of 35 elders who lead the Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas. The Hills Church is a multi-site church. It has three campuses, one in North Richland Hills, one in West Fort Worth, and one in South Lake. John and his wife, Anita, have been members of that church for almost 20 years, and John became an elder in 2015. And do you know what we have in common with John and Anita, besides the fact that we share a common faith? Well, I absolutely do. We all went to college together. In fact, Anita and I were very good friends. I've had high respect for her for as long as I've known her, and John too. That's right. Anyway, I'll tell you, I was so intrigued by my conversation with John and how they have organized their elders at the Hills. I'm sure that term elder is familiar to most of our listeners, Uh, For those who are not familiar with it, it's a biblical term. The New Testament speaks of elders in the local churches. They were also called shepherds and overseers. They were the leaders in those local churches. What some may not have thought about much is that nowhere in the New Testament are we told how elders were organized. Good point. At least there is no direct reference in Scripture to how they should be organized. So, I was intrigued by how the Hills Church had decided to organize their elders. That's fantastic. So why don't we get right to your conversation with John? Hello, John. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm very well today, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing very well. Again, I appreciate so much your willingness to join us. I I think that a lot of our listeners would really appreciate advice and encouragement and support from a fellow elder like yourself. So in this podcast, we'd like to speak from your experience as an elder of the Hills. Uh, we, we want to hear your experience and some of your recommendations. And I think the place to begin, if you don't mind, is just tell us how your elders are organized. Would you do that? Sure. Um, I, I'd be happy to. We have about 35 elders currently right now. They come from all three of our campuses. We currently have three campuses, and um, we uh, are represented in, in all of those um, locations. Probably the most important thing, and I think really what you want to hear some uh, discussion about, is we have um, uh, historically at the Hills, we've had several different models for how our elders are organized. We um, kind of just had the base model that most everybody has. Everybody was an elder. That worked for a while back in the 80s. Uh, But approaching the 90s as our attendance went into the 1,500, 2,000 range, we kind of went to more of a silo approach where elders were paired with ministers. And so you would have, for instance, the uh, youth department, uh, the youth ministers would have their own set of elders. Uh, whatever silo you were in, 
was kind of, uh, you know, what, what you paid attention to. And that worked for a period of time, except they really found, and this was before my time, of course, they really find that because you were siloed, you really didn't necessarily pay attention mm-hmm. to the other uh, functions of the church. Mm-hmm. So about 2000, we rewrote our bylaws to uh, establish what we called an operating committee, the OC. And we put about four or five elders on that with a couple of the ministers, uh, specifically Rick, the um, main preaching minister, Rick Ashley. And then at the time, it was Mike Washburn who uh, went to kind of an executive minister role. Uh, They joined the committee as well. So we had elders, a set of elders, and then Rick and Mike were uh, on on that committee at all times. Good. Very interesting. Well, you know, John, I don't believe there is any direct reference in Scripture to how elders should be organized. So I'm really curious about the way you all have organized your operating committee. Can you tell us more about that? I mean, how long do the members serve on that committee? How are they appointed? What is their particular role? Just talk about that operating committee for a bit. Sure. The um, the real purpose was to have a subset of the elders that really dealt with what I would call administrative or um, functional items that the that you just have to have at a certain level with our church to organize. And the most important thing was to leave the rest of the elders free to do shepherding roles. Mm. That that was, in all honesty, when I came on in 2015, that was very attractive to me, knowing I wouldn't have to sit in uh, meetings, to, you know, till midnight, deciding what <laughs> color the stripes in the parking lot should be, or who the next youth minister should be. Right. But th- but but then, so uh, the operating committee was basically two year assignments. People rotated in and out. Uh, we nominated. There's a nominating committee that nominated people we thought would be good in that role. We um, also part of that role is what we call the chairman, chairman of the board. Uh, I should probably mention under Texas law, uh, up until just this year, all the members of the elders were board of directors with the corporation. So we had a a chairman of the board who was the chairman of the operating committee. Uh, We also have a chairman, a shepherding chairman, who is actually uh, the chairman of the board legally. Uh, But that role is strictly to shepherd the shepherds, to be the, the man that really looks after all of us and uh, keeps us on task, encourages us, and just deals with any shepherding situations that would come up within our organization. Good. Uh, those those two roles are um, uh, two-year rotating uh, offices. So if you don't mind, I'd just like to say we just last month in March changed our uh, organizational structure legally, and instead of all of the elders being quote, board of directors, we uh, put that role strictly onto the OC, and uh, there's some good legal reasons to do that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the elders, as we come in, will be what we call members of the corporation. Okay. And if you don't mind, I'll just go and tell you about that. That sure. basically means uh, we're still members of the organization. We just don't have to have the fiduciary and legal responsibilities of being board of directors. We re- rewrote our bylaws where the members could uh, ask for discussion, situation on any decisions that might be made 
uh, that's really trying to take care of situations in advance of something uh, were to develop. John, is it fair to say? Is it fair to say that uh, that operating committee then they're in charge of making the day-to-day decisions, the administrative decisions, as you say? That would be fair, yes, sir. How many are um, how many are on that committee? Right now, there's six elders, and then the two ministers are on that. Okay, uh, as well. So a total of eight. And so let me just give you one example. Let's fresh off of our um, last year's history when this COVID thing hit. Um, a year ago and change, we had to make obviously some very quick decisions about what we should do, how we should respond to that as a church, what our obligations were legally within the community. And the OC and the ministers within a few days basically came up with a plan that received no dispute, no, uh, we had some, you know, some discussion between us. Basically, we shut down like everybody else did Mm -hmm. and uh, went online, And uh, but it didn't take a a meeting of all of the elders to decide that from the OC. We all accepted that. Uh, What that means is we didn't have to be up on all the legalities of what was permissible. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example of many. Yes, another good way to look at it is um, we had the OC had um, in the last two or three years had really upgraded all of our technology for uh, video, for reaching people online. That had become a very uh, good focus of ours. We're so grateful. All that equipment, all that technology, uh, the camera people, the directors and everything, most all of which are volunteer positions, they were there and they were able to up their game uh, we have a couple people on staff that really organize it and make sure all the equipment's compatible, and that we were able to move online with very little technical or uh, functional issue at all. I think that's wonderful. You know, I guess uh, what you're saying is, or what I'm hearing is, that you you all decided that a more efficient process for making decisions might be to just have a handful of people making those day-to-day decisions instead of all 35 of your elders, right? That is correct. We, um, because they're not the people that fill those roles are, are nominated from within our group. We have great confidence and uh, obviously confidence enough in them that they took on the shepherding role to begin with. But yes, they uh, have functioned very well. Uh, I probably should say they are very meticulous at documenting what goes on in those meetings, what decisions were made. I suspect a lot of the discussion is not uh, reproduced for sake of unity and clarity. Sure. But um, uh, it, to me, it's a great process. Do they communicate often and well with the rest of you elders who are on the board? Yes. Generally speaking, I would say it's excellent. There's been a time or two when issues were brought to us that did provoke good discussion, uh, but they've been sensitive enough to realize what would really be sensitive Mm -hmm. to the church, sensitive to us. They've really done a good job. I see. So they they uh, they keep you appraised of of what they're doing and the decisions they make. You know, I, I think this is so interesting. I'm intrigued by this organization because I I don't think it's the way many churches or most churches organize their elders. I'm wondering if if some elders would feel like they need to be involved in those day to day decisions. 
was it difficult for you all to make this change? Uh, did you have much, if any, pushback? There was probably some pushback initially before my time on this mm-hmm. uh, organization went in. But what it allows us to do, for instance, we have a new campus. It's not a new campus. An existing campus, the old Southlake Church of Christ, uh, came to us about 10 years ago and said, hey, we'd like to be affiliated with the Hills, and we'd like to be. Um, uh, well, that went that went to the OC, who examined the financing, examined the property, examined the um, the number of people at that uh, campus and just did all of the preliminary boot work, if, as you would, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to really see if this was a viable option. We had another group come to us uh, in the last three years and ask for the same thing. And uh, they were basically turned down because uh, one of their preconditions, and, and I, that's worth mentioning, what are your preconditions on coming in? One of theirs was that they were running a day school that was a separate. 503C organization, I believe. And they wanted to keep that in business in their current campus. And that just didn't seem to work for the uh, review that went on. And uh, that group was turned down. So it it just allows a a smaller group to to organize, review the um, uh, metrics of of a situation that comes up and, and apply that. They do that totally for all of our staff hiring and we don't think we've really fired anybody in a long time, but it allows a small group of people to look, to go out and do the searching to, and actually we'd have some search firms help out with that, mm-hmm. but it, it, it just expedites the process. Expedite. I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to make decisions if you had 35 people around the conference table trying to discuss something and then decide that would be so difficult, I think. Let me ask you this question. Uh, What about the elders who were not serving on the operating committee? You referred to this already. Tell us what they do. Tell us uh, what guidance, if any, is provided to them as to what the church expects of those elders who are not on the operating committee. Yeah, that's a good question. The real focus is to allow those elders to be shepherds, Mm. to, to concentrate on knowing people, to get out into the church community and the small groups and to really spend their time in that area. We do have very high expectations and we all sign a pledge uh, when we come on board that, you know, has your usual behavior things, but also some items of humility. It basically just says, hey, if if a, commi- a group or committee of elders comes to you and asks for you to resign, the implication being you're disruptive or um, maybe you do have some moral issues or whatever that it will be uh, given immediately. And that, that just gives, you know, uh, an opportunity for behavior for, but, you know, in advance, everybody knows what the expectations are. John, let me ask you this. Uh, you are you are a shepherd, and, and those who are not on the operating committee, as you say, they are devoted to helping people and getting to know people. Is there any way that you all have organized to do that? Or do you have a certain number of people that you look after? Is it just left uh, up to the person, the voluntary, to pick out the ones they want to check up on? You know, actually, we have, um, we actually filled out a form that said, hey, List the people that you would want to be the first contact if anything 
if they had any needs, if they had any, uh, just who is it that you are on first name basis with and know we should call you if we hear somebody's been in an accident, then in, you know, found out a serious disease or whatever, mm-hmm. because our office, our church office still is a great clearinghouse for that kind of information. Mm-hmm. However, let me, I would love to tell this quick story. Sure. In COVID, in COVID, the last few months, especially as we've been trying to come out of this, we had um, a couple of staff members and one elder really drove this. And I love this where he said, um, Okay, I'd like to go through our church roster. Uh, He had a couple of criteria, one of which was suddenly there's been no contributions. And we understand over the last year, a lot of people have had issues work-wise and everything. But that was kind of his driving force. And we got uh, literally about uh, 400 family names we divided those up among the 35 elders, mm. and I seriously spent a whole week calling people and uh, texting people and emailing people and just saying we had a pretty good script to work off of, but hey, we've been missing you. We, mm. we know that we're not seeing people because we're not at the building. We're just calling calling you up to say, how are you doing? What can we do to help? Is there any, you know, are you still attending online? Maybe you've moved on. Uh, just tell us there's no uh, issue here. We just want to check up on our flock mm. and see what, how everybody's doing. And it was an incredible experience. Instead of standing around the foyer and visiting with people and, and saying hello to you know visitors as they came in, we were actually able to get out and call people. And an interesting thing is that we have really good trust among our group. And if somebody needs to ask a minister, needs to ask somebody in the office, hey, what's going on with this or that? Everybody accepts that pretty openly, other than personnel matters, which really flow through the staff. The staff is organized, and we know, for instance, the youth ministers or the evangelism ministers or uh, finance, whoever it may be, we know what the structure is. And so, you know, if you're wondering about a minister, you can probably go to the staff. We're also encouraged to um, pray for ministers, and that's something I know you want to talk about as Mm -hmm. we talk about how our meetings are organized. I'm so glad you shared that story with us. Uh, You know, I I have noticed over the years how easy it is for people to fall through the cracks, and it's, it's so good to see elders who are dividing up the congregation and checking up on others. I, I just appreciate that story so much. Well, what stood out for you, honey, in that conversation? bunch of stuff. <laughs> it was interesting, very interesting. I And I can see how a church that size, a church that has that many elders, he said they had 35, right? Mm-hmm. I can see how a group that size would need to specialize to some extent in order just to do the work. Right. Just imagine how difficult it would be to make decisions when your decision-making team was 35 members strong. Right. And I can see how much more efficient it would be to cut the size of that decision-making group or what they called the operating committee to six to eight members. And technically, I think there's been some research done on that number that eight members or less 
is a perfect number for a decision-making team. So that seems to be highly efficient to do it that way. Yes. And besides the advantage of efficiency that I see in this way of organizing, I like the fact that those not on that operating committee can focus on people. I loved that. Right. Shepherding people. As John said, getting to know people and getting involved in their lives is what those other elders concentrated on. And I'll tell you, as a former elder, I know how difficult it is to wear too many hats. Yes. You can become so busy taking care of administrative details and making day-to-day decisions that you really have little time and energy for being with people and actually serving as a shepherd. And I think we don't allow enough time to be with people. Uh, So there's just not enough hours in the day to do all the administrative stuff and then all the caring for people. It's just important to allow people to be focused on that. And you know, something else I thought was interesting uh, about something John said, and that had to do with expectations and accountability. He said that every elder had to sign a pledge when they became an elder. And that pledge included expectations of the role. Sort, I guess you'd say sort of like a job description. But also part of that document that they signed was that there was a system in place for the removal of an elder due to moral failure or some other kind of complaint. And the elder, when appointed, had to sign a pledge that he would respect the system and resign from the office if there were certain conditions that came to play. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was very interesting. And, yes. and I don't think I've ever heard of such a pledge before like that. And actually, I really like it. I believe that process builds trust in the members, not only in the elders, but in the system. Yeah, I was I was intrigued by that too. I don't think I've ever heard of such a pledge that the church requested elders sign before they came into that important role. I think we kind of make that assumption, but I think it's really sure. good to lay it out there so that it's agreed upon before you go into that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I think I, we should tell our listeners that this podcast is only part one of your conversation with John. Next week, we will publish part two of that interview. Do you want to give us a little bit of a preview of that conversation without the popcorn? I'm glad to do that. <laughs> yeah, in part two, John will say more about the way they organize their elders, but he will also talk a lot about elder-minister relations. Oh, good. Yeah, he will talk about how applying some of the principles discussed might apply in smaller churches. I, I think that's important for us to hear. Absolutely. I mean, I can see small church leaders saying, well, that's a mega church. How would that apply to me? So he's going to talk about how these principles could apply in a smaller church. Good. I think it's important to say that these ideas could very well be applied in much smaller sized churches. They do not just have relevance for large or mega churches. So we're looking forward to a lot of good content in part two of that conversation. That's great. Uh, We'll look forward to part two of your conversation with John Royce next week. So listeners, plan to join us again next week for another episode of the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we believe serving as a church or ministry leader shouldn't be so perplexing. All leaders deserve access to practical support, and anyone can become a more informed, more confident, and more effective leader. 